0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Lord, we just thank you for your word and the study of your word. We pray that you would just continue to change our hearts, our lives, as you teach us what you've said, what you've done, and what the scriptures mean. Today as we look at Acts chapter 2, we pray that you would change us, that you would challenge us, and Lord, that you would fill us with the excitement and hope, Lord, as we look at what you've done through your word. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. All right, family, let's begin at verse 1 of chapter 2, and the scripture says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, as we talk about the day of Pentecost, what we're talking about is the gift and the promise of the Holy Spirit. God has given us a helper, and the scripture says in several places, Jesus is talking telling his disciples that he's going to send the promise, the Holy Spirit. It's a proof that he indeed is the Messiah. So Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus says, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. The word says he never leaves us, never forsakes us. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said. Oh, we so depend upon that. And then in Acts chapter 1, as Pastor has taught us yesterday, in verse 4, the command, Jesus says to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the what the Father has promised, which you have heard from me. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 1-8, we live by this. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. What I really think it says in the modern translation, you shall be my witnesses in federal way and in South King County and in Seattle and throughout the world. We are the witnesses of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in essence the command is wait until you receive power. And the day of Pentecost is come but each of us as Christians are really seeking for that empowerment so that we can do all that Jesus has said through us. The word says is not by might, not by power, but through my spirit. So Pentecost, what is it? The in the Old Testament, the focus on Pentecost was the feast of weeks. It celebrated for seven weeks the harvest and it proceeded right after the celebration of the Passover. The Passover was that which God had covered His people and passed over the firstborn because of the blood of the sacrifice and spared the sons of Israel. It was a celebration of deliverance from Egypt and all that God did." And so for seven weeks after that, they had the Feast of Weeks, which was a celebration of the harvest that was to come. And it celebrated the completion of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. And the focus was on thanksgiving to God for His gracious provision and His blessing on the life of His people. In addition, it was a day of joy, and it was a day where they cared for the poor, they gave to those that were in need. And then so it was on the celebration of this day, 50 days from the day of Passover that we have the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so the New Testament focus was on the celebration of the giving of the promised Holy Spirit, the promises that we just read that Jesus said that He would do that. And then again we'll look in the fact that we know that it was the will of the Father because Peter is going to talk about the promise that's found in the book of Joel chapter 2 that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all of God's people. It was a celebration also of the birth of the church And it was a proclamation that the harvest had begun, the harvest of souls had begun. And it was a renewed anticipation of the reception of a full harvest of souls. And family, the Word says that when darkness increases, grace superabounds. And in my heart, and I pray in our hearts as a church family, that we're anticipating God to do a great work as He awakens the hearts of the people in our community and the surrounding world but also as he revives the church and releases the full power and potential of the Holy Spirit through us so that we can say, see the lost saved and disciples made. All right, let's go back to our scripture. We're going to reread verse 1, and then we're also going to read verses 1 to 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance." So the scripture starts out and they were together in one place. Family, isn't that the heart of the Lord that we are a community together? They were in community, in prayer, in worship, in expectation. They were waiting for this promise that the Lord had promised to give them and they were in expectation that it was going to happen soon. And then we move on in the scripture to see the proof of the Holy Spirit's arrival. The first thing the Scripture says, there was a noise like a violent rushing wind. It wasn't a rushing wind, but it was a noise. And what it seemed to be is a sound that was coming from heaven, closer and closer, louder and louder. And as we read this verse we remember a couple of different times in the Old Testament when the Lord came and appeared to His people. The first is found in Exodus chapter 19 verse 16. And the scripture says that the Lord descended upon the mountain at Sinai. And it says that there was thunder, there was lightning, the earth trembled, there was a loud trumpet that grew louder and louder. And the people shrink back in fear and ran from the presence of the Lord. The earth quaked with smoke and fire. The Lord had arrived and showed Himself. And there is a sense as we look at the verse that we're looking at that the Lord is showing that it is God, that it is from heaven and of Him. We also see in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 11, the prophet Elijah after he had a great victory on Mount Carmel He was running for his life because Jezebel is threatening to kill him as soon as she sees him. And so he runs to the mountain of the Lord. And it says, then the Lord passed by with the strong wind, with with an earthquake and with fire. And then there was the gentle blowing breeze that spoke to the prophet. So again, as we hear the noise like a violent rushing wind, It is saying something unique to the people of God, that God is up to something, that He is present, that He is doing something new. And then it goes on to say in our scripture that tongues of fire rested on each of them. And in Exodus chapter 40, verse 38, family, we need to understand this. This is so deep of what's being said of the tongues of fire It's not just something that happened, but it it states a biblical reality that is for all of us. It says in Exodus chapter 40 verse 38 that there was a cloud over the tabernacle by day, but hear this, and a fire by night. And it indicated the very presence of God was in and above the tabernacle. And so as we see the flames of fire, the children of Israel would have understood this completely that this indicated the very presence of God over the people that have been filled with the Holy Spirit both in them and through them. In essence what it's saying is they are now the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit and the full presence of God dwells within them. Family, if we just understand what the Holy Spirit has done in us the word says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit can't take the salvation away. That we are filled with the Holy Spirit it's an ongoing process. There's an overflow of the spirit of our life as we seek it. It says that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, completely immersed every corner of our life with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that touches me the most and challenges me the most is the word says that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So again, the essence of fire resting over their heads indicated that they were now temples of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit of God was in each of them. And then it says as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, completely immersed in Him, the Spirit of God cleanses our life from sin it says that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, there was a biblical languages and the languages of men that was poured out in their mouth. Let's go on in our study to look at verses 5-13. through 13. As we approach the Word of God, the Scripture says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galatians? Kind of a term down there. And how is it that each of us hear them in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia— Judea, Caprodiaca, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Liberia around Syria, and the visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs were hearing them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God, and they were continually amazed and greatly perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, they're filled with sweet wine. All right, as we move on the crowd's response to the reception of the Holy Spirit, our response to Pentecost, that was a diverse crowd. I want you to notice this that it is not just a small sect in Judea, and it's not just a sect of Jews that were living in Jerusalem that noticed this, but the witness is diverse and it is scattered throughout the world as they had come together to worship God. It was one of the three mandatory feasts that the children of Israel would have to attend. So there was people from all different cultures, all different nations witnessing this. One, that would impact them and they would take that back to their own nation. But two, in my heart, it is a confirmation that the word of God is true because it is a, it's not a small group of people that has witnessed this, but it is people from around the world that has witnessed this and are perplexed by this. The text goes on to talk about the amazement of the crowd. In essence, what's the scripture say? They were shocked. And when they heard the sound, then heard them speaking the mighty deeds of God, they were shocked when not only did they hear the language in their own native tongue, but just at the thing that had happened, the noise from heaven, and they knew that God was doing something. And notice as they heard the language that the language was declaring the mighty deeds of God. It's like Mary's Magnificat where she is just giving praise to God for what God is doing in and through her and to His people. It's a thing of worship and praise to God. And notice that as tongues are being spoken it is a language that is Godward. The Spirit is interceding for us and praising and worshiping God and declaring His mighty deeds. And prophecy which Pastor Ben has been teaching us much about is God speaking to man. So tongues is Godward and prophecy is man-directed. The confusion of the crowd. They heard clearly what was being said in their native language and then they realized, get this, these are Galatians that are speaking. The reason they use this term is one, the people of Galatian, the people of Nazareth and the surrounding communities were known to be a working people. They were a people that were building the Roman cities in that, so they were a labor force. They were blue-collar. They were not highly educated people so they would not know different languages. But also the people from Galatia were also known that they had a unique dialect. We see this that as Jesus was arrested and Peter is watching the trial, they say, well, aren't you a Galatian too? You speak like that. You're from Um, that. So there was a distinct misuse of language in that. So the people are perplexed that they are hearing in clarity, in perfect form, the language that they were born in. It is a miraculous work that God has done through His disciples. And they then were seeking to understand, what does this mean? But others were mocking and thought that they were intoxicated. And Peter's going to respond to that in a moment. But I want you to notice something, the two responses that are given. First, some understood that God was doing something and they wanted to understand it. God, what are you doing? This is from you. Other people did not want to know, they wanted to reject what God is doing because they did not want to understand what he was doing and thus be accountable. There's hungry hearts and there's hearts that want nothing to do with the things of God. That's the two responses that we see. Let's go on in our scripture reading and look at verses 14 through 21. We're going to look at Peter's explanation of the event. Verse 14, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raising his voice, declared to them, Notice something. Peter, after being baptized in the Holy Spirit the one that had denied Jesus three times, the one that said that he had not worthy to be a disciple anymore, all of a sudden there is a new boldness. There is a transformation in who he is and a, a boldness in ministry that's come through his life. So Peter raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, Let it be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, but it is only the third hour of the day family, that means 9 o'clock in the morning. And as it's 9 o'clock in the morning, it's the time for the morning sacrifice. And so at the time of the morning sacrifice, the people would be moving forward to worship God. And so there would be a large crowd that would witness this as they were proceeding to the temple. The Scripture goes on to say, but this was spoken through the prophet Joel And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And it will be granted wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below. Below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the glorious day the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have two movements from the book of Joel that Peter is quoting. One the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then too he's going to go on in what Joel said and just talk about this Lord that has saved us that will come back and will draw us to himself. So as Peter explains the event, first Peter states clearly these men are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's the hour that the morning sacrifice is being offered. And for a Jewish person they would not be drunk and they would be seeking the Lord at this time. And Again, there were many witnesses that were going to the temple for this. The second thing that Peter declares is this is the fulfillment of what Joel is spoken. And what's being said about pastor has taught us about this, has been teaching us about prophecy the fact that in the Old Testament the word says the Spirit would come upon. It does not say that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit would come upon prophets, priests, and kings. That's fulfilled in Jesus. And also the judges. So it's a select few of people. But the promise in the New Testament that Joel makes, it's going to be upon all the people of God. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. All mankind is those that believe or those that are in the Lord. And it says that your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, I'm there. Your young men will see visions. And even on my bond servants. and the word that's used there in the Greek is doulos. It's a bondservant, one that has given themselves over to the service of the Lord. But here it's used as a household slave, one that has been in slavery. The least of the community, the least of society, even on those that believe, the Spirit of the Lord will be poured out upon them both male and female. It's not just a man thing. It is a powerful statement that the Messiah would again pour out His Spirit upon His people and then in the last days He would come and deliver His people from their enemies. So what Peter was saying, he says that the Messiah has come in a way that was not expected by the children of Israel. They didn't understand the scriptures and the promises that were made and they didn't understand the need for the Messiah to come and die for our sin. But Jesus had to come and die for you and I because without him dying on the cross there is no salvation in us. In the Old Testament there were three themes for the Messiah. The first theme was that he would be a son of David and we're going to see that Peter uses this in his scripture that he is the promised one of the line of David. He is the Davidic king, the ultimate final Davidic king and he will rule and reign forever. The second is Isaiah's suffering servant where he would be the one that would go and die for the sins of the people and then raise again for glory and honor. And the third would be Daniel's heavenly son of man. And Jesus called himself the son of man often both to identify that he was fully human but also to declare that he was fully divine. He was the divine son that would come out of heaven and save his people. And so Peter is saying that he, the Lord, the Messiah, has poured forth the Holy Spirit and it is proof that he was raised from the dead. And then he says that all who call upon the Lord will be saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Not just the Jewish people, And this really goes back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 where he said in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There is salvation through the seed of Abraham the seed of David that has saved all mankind and released the presence of the Holy Spirit on each who believe. Let's continue in our study as we would look now at Peter's sermon to the people. And we're going to start at verse 22 and go through verse 26. And the scripture says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, again, in the Old Testament you were identified by this name that you had in the city that you lived in. Jesus the man, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, And put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. The perfect one cannot stay in death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you were not abandoned my soul into Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to say, Brethren, I am confident to say that you, regarding the patriarch David, that you, he both died and was buried and is in his tomb with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and he knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, we have talked about that Jesus is the son of David, the promised Messiah, the Davidic king. And he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he would neither be abandoned to Hades nor would his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up, to which we are witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received for the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he spoke forth this, which you have both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, "...until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." All right, so Peter is going to say a couple of different things in this section. First, what is he saying? That Jesus was crucified by sinful men, both Jews and Gentiles put Him to death on the cross. It was not the Jews alone, but it was also the Gentiles as well. But again, you need to understand that Jesus was the one to bear the sins of the world of both the promised people, the Jews, that were going to bring the Messiah, but also for every person that lives on this earth. It says, He says, that this was the predetermined plan of God and the Scripture says that Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. The word says that a body thou hast foreordained for me before the foundations of the world. And Jesus says, I'm here to do your will. When God created the heavens and earth before he did that, God knew that mankind would fall away from him. And he created the plan of salvation through his son that Jesus would be born of a man, live a perfect life, go to the cross and die for our sin and be resurrected from the dead. He is declaring clearly that Jesus was crucified by sinful man, but this was not an accident, he's not a martyr, but he is the suffering servant of God, the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He goes on to say that Jesus was proven to be the Messiah by all the signs and wonders he did. He raised the dead, he healed the deaf, he healed the blind, he made the lame walk, He did many miracles to prove that he indeed was the Son of God, but even that was not enough for man. And then Jesus, he goes on to say, Peter says, that Jesus was declared to be the Messiah by his resurrection. The significance here, he says, that it was impossible for death to hold him he was the pure Son of God without sin, and death had no control over him. He is God himself that is Lord over death. His death and was resurrection was prophesied by David. In other words, it is scriptural. The scripture foretold that Jesus would die for our sin and raise again from the dead. And Peter is pointing to that fact, but also declaring that the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, could not be held by death. Jesus is not in the tomb today. And I've heard people say it, <laughs> that's a lie. He is the resurrected Lord that sits at the right hand of God the Father and He will come to judge the wicked and the dead and to take us to Himself. The Jewish thought and behind this is why Peter is declaring this, that He is the resurrected one, is that they thought the one who died on the cross was a criminal and thus could not be the Messiah. Remember they were looking for a political ruler, but Jesus was establishing his kingdom and he was dying for the sins of mankind. So Jesus, the descendant of David, was resurrected from the dead, proving by Scripture and by his very resurrection that he indeed is the Messiah. Jesus was also declared to be the Messiah by his exaltation. He is the ascended one that sits at the right hand of God the Father. And the word says that there is one mediator between God and man and that's the man Christ Jesus. He pleads our case before the Father. He is the ascended one and because He is the exalted Son of God He has asked the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit and He Himself has poured out the Spirit on all who believe. He It is proof, the giving of the Holy Spirit family is proof that Jesus is the resurrected, ascended one that is in the presence of the Father and he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It confirms his Messiahship. And so then Peter goes on with the conviction and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified He's speaking to the people of God that should have recognized their Messiah knowing that He had to die for their sins, but they should have rejoiced and expected this and awaited His resurrection. But they treated Him as a common and criminal and they rejected Him. And he goes, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Him both Lord and Messiah. In other words, Lord, He is the one that has all authority to rule and to judge and a Messiah, He is the Divine One. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let's go on in our study. We're going to look at verses 37 through 41 and see the outcome that Peter declares, or the outcome of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The Scripture says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and said to Peter, and all the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit family clearly in Scripture was not just for the first century believers, but it is for all Christians and it is for today. The text goes on and says, "...and with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation." Doesn't that sound familiar today, God save us from this perverse generation. And he concludes with this and says, so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Oh man, that's good. So the outcome then of Peter's sermon, because again it was empowered by the Spirit of God, he spoke by the Spirit of God, the authority of God himself spoke these words to his people and brought conviction to them. Remember, encounter always brings conviction and confession. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit then, the result was they were pierced to the heart. The word actually says they were stabbed to the heart. And what it is, it is a deep troubling conviction that they can't get away from this won't leave me, it's true, it haunts me. And out of this their hearts cry out and they question the apostles because they have the word of truth. They're the ones that received the Holy Spirit that walked with Jesus. They say, what must we do? Is there any way to escape God's wrath for doing the things that we did? We're guilty before the Lord. And isn't that what God does with us in conviction? Just bring it to that point and say, I'm the man, I'm guilty before you. And as we admit our guilt then we open up the door for the mercy, the grace, and the cleansing of God. Family, if there's a barrier, let's break that barrier down and allow the Spirit to convict us and to heal us from those things. And so Peter brings the answer. And the answer the first thing he says, repent of your sins. And the word repent, the biblical word for repent is change direction. We're walking away from God and it is to turn our hearts and our lives around and to chase after the Lord, come back to the Lord. It's the story of the prodigal son walked away from his father and then said, I must go back to my father's house. And there was the repentance, Father forgive me, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's calling the people to repent and to turn themselves to God, not just to religion, but to seek the one that died on the cross for them. The second thing that he says, to be baptized. And baptism is not just simply uh, an act, but baptism is a declaration of that which we have had happen in our lives. It's found in Romans chapter 6. And it really says that we were buried with Christ through baptism. In other words, we died to the power and control of sin and the shame of sin in Jesus Christ. Baptism declares that. It also declares the fact that we are followers of Jesus, that we love Him and believe in Him. May I just say that we're going to have a water baptism again in a couple weeks on Wednesday the 18th about 8.30 in the evening. Family, if you've not been baptized in water or not understood it, be baptized in water. It's a declaration of your faith and it's also a declaration of what Jesus has done because we don't stay in the water. We died to sin in Jesus but we're raised to newness of life. We're raised to victory. We're raised as a new creature that is out now able not to sin and wants to please the Lord. There is a heart change that happens and baptism is a step of obedience where we obey the Lord and do what He's told us to do. But it's also a declaration of the new life that we have in Jesus. And then he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It is a promise for all the believers in the Lord and it is something that is essential for each of us. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to walk in His grace. The outcome, the response, I love this, 3,000 people we're saved. And family, the word says then when darkness increases, grace superabounds. And family, we have the words of truth. Government is not going to say, change and save us. It's not going to change society. What's going to save and change society is people come to know Jesus. And again, our mission at this church with Jesus is to see the lost saved and disciples made. Family, remember this. We are on mission with Jesus, and as people's hearts are changed, the very essence of society changes around that. Let's finish now our text reading as we look at the new community established as we talk about the family of God. We will start in verse 42, and the scripture says, "...they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, underline prayer, family. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all of those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day they continued with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that last line, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we live for Jesus and we follow Him in faith and we share the things that God has done in and through our lives and share our lives with one another, that's the hook for the world. It's going to draw them to Jesus and that is such a joy to the Lord and a joy to us as well. All right. so again verses 42 through 47 talk about again the results of Pentecost, the results of repentance and baptism is a new community, a new family has been established and it says that they were devoted to the apostles teaching. They wanted to know more and more about the person of Jesus. Family, the Word of God is great, it teaches us who our God is, but ultimately it proclaims Jesus, the Lord, the Savior of the world, the one that heals, the one that delivers, the one that is merciful and full of truth. Our hearts are to continually grow in the knowledge that we have. And the washing of the word is so important to us. We are looking at the apostles' teaching and the teaching of the prophets and our Heavenly Father through the prophets as we approach the word. The word is essential to each of our lives. It also says to fellowship. Fellowship in the Greek basically means common purpose, common goal. It's not just relationship and hanging out with each other, but it was a purposeful gathering together in the things of the Lord, the worship of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the sharing of the life of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the acceptance of the Lord. All of that was involved in fellowship. It was not just gathering together and eating. It's very deep, and it's very deep something that God wants for us as He calls us back together as a family and to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread here is not just the celebration of communion. Communion is a celebration where we declare that Jesus died for our sin, bore the penalty of our sin, and that He shed His blood for our forgiveness. It's a remembrance of what God has done and it's an act of celebration. But as they were breaking bread together what they were doing was celebrating the love feast. And the love feast would involve a meal for the believers. They would eat together because there were many people in need. But also family, it's so much more fun to eat together in community than simply by yourself. I love the common plate where we just eat, we fellowship, we share the goodness of God with each other. And then they concluded this by the celebration of communion. The scripture goes on to say, and they kept feeling a sense of awe. The word awe here deals with the sense of like there's an expectancy. What is God going to do? But then also there's a sense that fear came to their souls and they were looking at themselves and say oh we need cleansing, we need forgiveness. So as they kept feeling a sense of awe there were as many signs and wonders that were taking place through the apostles. And I don't know about your prayer life But that's one of the things that I'm praying, that God would bring that back to us and release signs and wonders, not just for us as a people as He heals our bodies and provides for our needs, but He would demonstrate His glory to the world around that they may know that He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it says the believers were together. The believers were together. The believers were together and they had all things in common. As it says they had all things in common, their property was no longer ours. that It was a community property. They shared everything they had with each other and make sure people had clothing, had housing, had food, had everything that they need. It was simply God was their provider and they were the hand of God to others as they would care for them. There was a loving care that was in the body of Christ. And it says, by day by day they continued in one mind. Their hearts were knitted together to glorify Jesus and live for Him. And it says they were in the temple, large gatherings where teaching, evangelism, and ministry took place. They were from house to house, small gatherings where prayer, worship, and testimony and new believers could be brought in They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. There was a sense of deep fellowship and belonging together as they belonged to Jesus. And they were praising God and having favor with people. May the people of this community and the surrounding area see the love of Christ in us as we love each other and we share our lives together. And it says that God was adding to their number daily. Oh family, may God add to our number I don't care what the predictions of COVID are. Our God is greater in these. And my prayer is, Lord, not only sustain us as a family, but bring new family members into us. Isn't it wonderful when babies are born? We want to see spiritual babies born. All right, our application. It's important to note from our study that without the Holy Spirit no one can come to Jesus. He is the one that convicts of sin he is the one that convicts the gospel is true. He is the one that turns the hearts of men, women, and children. He draws people to Jesus. We need to be a Spirit-filled people and depend on the baptism of the Spirit as we minister to other people so needed. Alright, questions the text is asked of me, and I pray that the text is asking questions of you as well. The first questions, have I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And do I remain full of the Holy Spirit? The word says be being filled of the Holy Spirit. We need a continual baptism, a continual infilling. And remember family, the Lord said wait till you receive power and then you shall be my witnesses. And I know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowerment for ministry but I also think family it's empowerment for living the Christian life. The second question the text is asked of me, am I seeking to know more about my God? Am I growing in His likeness? Or am I satisfied where I'm at? Have I said I've known enough, I've read the Bible enough, I go to church enough or am I really seeking to grow deeper and deeper with Jesus? Pastor Ben is encouraging us to read the Scriptures continually to have an ongoing devotional life where we journal, where we pray, where we worship. And I don't know about you family, but I long for that time and that time is revealing more and more about my Savior. We are to be a people of His presence and to press into Him and to know more about Him. This God is infinite and as He is infinite He will continue to reveal new things to each of us and to change our hearts to where we're like Him. The third question the text is asked of me is have I allowed myself to be joined to the family of God completely? Or do I hold myself back from God's people and from community life? As a child, my family was something to escape. And I didn't want to be with them. I found if I worked, I could be away from them. And as I turned 18, I left the house and never returned to the house. But I found that as I became a Christian, that God had a new plan, that loners aren't allowed in the kingdom of God. You can't just be you and Jesus, but you need the community of Christ. And in that aspect, He has given me a love for the family of God. The term family is something that I use not to just as a novelty, but it is something that I use because of my gratitude for the people that God has brought in my life. Mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, and children to me. God has provided through that And he's calling us back to be a part of his community. Family, let's hear the voice of the Lord. Let's join ourselves together. Be uncomfortable for Jesus, but know that he has given you a spiritual family that loves you deeply. The fourth question Do I have a heart to see the lost saved? 3,000 people in one day. We look at this so difficultly, but as the power of the Holy Spirit is released, God draws people supernaturally to himself. Oh, that's my prayer for us. Not just 3,000, but multiply it by 10 that we may say the work of God. There is something that the Spirit of God is doing anew. That just not living Christianity, doing ministry, but seeking for people to come to know Jesus, that's the very heart of our Lord. And may that heart become that of us. Has our heart grown cold? Have we grown callous and judgmental to the people of the world? Or do we realize the depth that we have been saved from and want to offer that same salvation to others? May the Lord renew a heart for the lost and may open our eyes to see that the fields are white for harvest. The final question that the text asked of me is what have I had to give up to follow Jesus? My heart was just overcome as I look at the community of Christ but realizing these people as they were living in the community of Christ they were dependent. They had lost family, jobs, relationship, everything and they have claimed allegiance to the Lord and continued to follow Him despite the lost. And it is such an easy thing for us in our society to accept Jesus. Maybe there's a little rejection for family or workmates or friends, but it has not been at the cost of the first century disciples. And it asked me the question, am I willing to give up everything to be a follower of Jesus? And family, I don't know about you, but for me I've made the decision that he is my Lord, my Savior. He has been proven to be the Son of God by the miracles he did. He has been proven to be the Son of God by the very word that he would die for our sin and rise again from the dead. He has been proven to me to be the Son of God by his very ascension into heaven and giving us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he has proven to be the Son of God by the love that he has given me and the family that he has given me. May we sacrifice all that we are to serve the one that loved us, that has promised eternity to us, and is coming back for us. Family, I pray that the Lord would bless your day. I pray that you with us would continue to grow in your knowledge of the Word as we study the Bible together. God bless. Thanks for listening.